Hey everyone. Hello. Before we get started, a quick shout out to a new reviewer. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been like eight months since we got a new Apple Podcast review, so we're excited. We've been getting other ones, though. We have been getting other ones on other countries' Apple Podcast stores, Mm. Um, so I can't see them on our main feed. We appreciate all of you international listeners. At some point, we'll do a, like listener thank you little app where we can talk through some of the other reviews but for now i'm sorry we're only covering the ones in the u.s apple podcast store because it's hard for me to see the others this review is from stoppables thank you so much stoppables makes me think of ron stoppable from kim possible so (laughs) i love it your rating stoppables your badass lady meter rating is your very own enchanted castle oh what a great review because you're an edith nesbitt fan if anyone else is an Edith Nesbitt fan, you can check out our Enchanted Castle episode. And if you'd like to leave us, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would love it so much. Thank you. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Indeed. This week, The Witches of Worm by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Now, I always look at you as if I'm expecting you to (laughs) distinctly sum up the book in one little sound effect. And you do a great job. Thank you. That's my sound effect for this time. This book was published in 1972. And it has illustrations by Alton Rabel, which we'll also be discussing. The illustrations, which I just saw for the first time because I listened to the audiobook, Grace handed me some photos, um, are, they remind me of like scary stories to tell in the dark pictures. (laughs) They're spooky. Purposefully terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. They're great though. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one in a while, just take an hour and a half and go read it. Yeah. (laughs) It's very short and... Very fast. The uh, the estimated read time is two hours. <laughs> yes. Before we get into it, let's discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote our edition of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have that any longer. I am pretty sure that this was one of those school books that I stole for like years at a time and then just surreptitiously deposited back at the school library eventually. <laughs> It's one of the Dell Yearling editions that I think were all published in the 80s. They all have similar cover illustrations, which are realistic paintings of a scene from the book in question. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, in an interesting choice, it doesn't have the Newbery medal. It just says a Newbery honor book (laughs) in small font at the top of the cover. I don't know. Maybe Newbery's afraid of it. Um, So... These types of covers were extremely compelling for young Grace. I loved them. It always made me so excited and desperate to read the book. Um, what this, are you smiling about? This cover, I just saw it for the first time this morning as well. And it is, Do you have any recall of no, it? No. Okay. Straight up boxcar kids, new generation Nancy Drew, magic treehouse. Yes. Like <laughs> babysitter's club. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was the... 
mode yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, that was what the people wanted. We will put this cover up on dragonbabiespodcast.com so you can take a look. Um, and it portrays Jessica and Brandon and his only appearance his in the book. His only scene in the book and he gets a cover appearance. I suspect that they did this to show boys as well as girls that uh. they should read this book because this cover makes it look like the crazy hijinks of right. two friends yeah. out on the town which, which it is, really isn't no. for a book this chilling eerie and atmospheric it is a really jarring cover like the content of the book reminded me of Coraline it reminded me of we have always lived in the castle by Shirley Jackson mm. and when I think about the covers that editions of those works have it would make a lot more sense to have a similar style yeah the original cover featuring an illustration by Alton Rabel is much creepier although it doesn't oh. it doesn't even feature one of his most frightening illustrations but it is a slightly more generic looking cat that's hissing and it's just a pencil drawing on a yellow mm. cover cool um i'll put that up on our website as well but as i said this illustration this type of cover is what the kids of the 80s and 90s wanted yeah. so i'm here for it and also worm doesn't look right in the cover no, worm is black like a little spooky he's like he a generic like my cat. sweet little black cat yeah um which i don't agree with and jessica <laughs> and brandon are both making faces like whoa and they're wearing perfect like 80s preteen outfits well, like jessica has a white skirt on and, and Brandon has, has a white like, windbreaker they look like they were gonna play tennis and instead they went to chase a cat she also has like long beautiful blonde hair which is not mm -hmm. on brand for her yeah we don't really know exactly what she looks like I don't think we ever get a physical description of her but her mom Joy is the beautiful one yes. and she is like that's just not her mm -hmm. yeah. so that's why I also like that little girl yeah, looks wrong. they've been prettied up for yeah. sure yeah um, but the cover does its job, you know, and when I, after I had read the book, I went in search of my original cover and had one of those great moments where the second you see, you're just like, yep, there it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no question. So cool. <laughs> I remember obsessing over this. <laughs> so Madeline, would you like to give us a quick plot summary for those who haven't read the book in a bit? I would. This book is about Jessica, who is a latchkey kid, uh, daughter of mom Joy, who uh, very clearly didn't want to have kids. Um, Jessica's dad is not in the picture, and Joy is living life. She was a teen mom. She had her when she was 18. Okay, yeah. Um, so Joy kind of lives life like she is a... Well, and she... She's not. She's she, like 30. Right. She's barely out of her 20s. So yeah. she's living life as if she's a single woman who's yeah. 30. <laughs> yes. um, but she has a, a kid at home who she totally ignores. Uh, it, it was interesting in this book. Usually we get the fantasy trope of dads are bad. And in this, uh, we didn't have any kind of dad. Rather, there was just a bad parent who was a mom. Yeah. Um, Jessica is lonely when we, because her mom doesn't pay any attention to her. She goes out every night with her beau. Um, and Ellen. Ellen. <laughs> Jessica recently had some sort of f catastrophic fight with her best friend, Brandon. 
Um, and we don't find out why until the very end of the book, but she talks a lot about Brandon, uh, and about how he betrayed her throughout the book. Uh, she and he's her neighbor as well. So there's a constant yes. reminder of him. They all live in the same apartment building. Uh, and it, very cool, creepy building. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. So, Residence manor or something like that. I don't remember. Um, so Jessica's just kind of booping around, trying to make her own fun. Um, she's been uh, reading about witches, uh, and she meets this uh, weird, weird little kitten, like brand new, just born kitten in a cave, uh, who she then takes to, uh, what's the old woman's name? Mrs. Fortune. Mrs. Fortune. Um, and then the other old woman is Mrs. Post, she, who owns the building. So Mrs. Fortune owns the building and Mrs. Post acts as the de facto landlord because Mrs. Fortune can't handle that herself. Ah, okay, right. Um, so Mrs. Fortune is like, oh, wow, it's a brand new baby kitten. You have to feed it every two hours. You have to rub its butt so that it does its business, which is an actual thing. Yes. Um, and you have to do that for kittens if they get separated from their mom too early because their mom will do it. And Jessica is not into this catch. It's weird. It's ugly. Um, she doesn't like cats, but she finds herself caring for it. Um, and, uh, it's good because she doesn't have any other friends right now. Um, school's not fun. She doesn't enjoy school. She's, and it's summer when it starts. Yes. Um, she doesn't have her friend Brandon. She doesn't have either of her other friends who she had for like a short period of time to try and replace Brandon, but they seem kind of crummy too. Um, and so the cat gets older. She names it Worm and, uh, Worm starts talking to her. <laughs> In a terrifying voice. A talking cat. Uh, telling her how to punish the people who have wronged her. Um, so, for instance, she gets one of her used-to-be friends in trouble um, by making it seem like she was hanging out at a... The Penny Arcade. Yeah, the Penny Arcade. The slot. Or they said there are, like, slots there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah some sort of very... A bad place. Very low-key, like, yeah. gambling establishment. Um, and uh, Mrs. Fortune kind of sees what's going on, um, tr is trying to talk to Jessica about it, but Jessica doesn't trust her. She doesn't trust anyone, um, understandably so. And so she's just trying to avoid everyone. She thinks she might be going crazy. Um, she thinks Mrs. Fortune is a witch. She's reading all of these books about like the Salem witch trials yeah. and people accusing each other. Um, you know, whether one person or another was actually the witch. And, you know, in the meantime, she's like kind of avoiding Worm. Worm is telling her what to do. And something important to mention, I think, is that Worm also says to her that he is a witch's cat. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jessica thinks that a different witch has sent Worm uh, to, you know, haunt her. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't pick up on the fact that, like, probably she's just the witch yeah. um, and that he's her witch's cat. And Mrs. Yeah. Fortune tells her, like, cats have lots of lives, at least nine. And Worm was probably a witch's cat in a past life and many past lives. And now he's Jessica's witch's cat. Um, but Jessica, the last bad thing she does is she pushes Brandon's trumpet out a window 
um, because he leaves it on the windowsill in the apartment building. Um, the trumpet falls to the ground and breaks. And uh, then Mrs. Fortune saw her do it, so calls her up and says, okay, Jessica, you broke Brandon's trumpet. You need to tell him. Um, and Jessica then starts accusing Mrs. Fortune of being the witch and she almost kills her. Like she, she thoughtfully plans her murder. Yes. Yeah. Something else important I think is Mm -hmm. that Jessica, whenever she's confronted, when someone catches her, because she keeps Mm. getting caught and called out with each bad thing that she does, Mm -hmm. she feigns a sort of temporary amnesia and throws her hands up and makes her eyes blank and stutters and slurs her words. Yeah. And it works. And it works on everyone except Mrs. Fortune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I think pushes her to the point of like, I have to take care of her. Right. I have to get rid of her um, because my normal tactic isn't going to work. And Jessica, she doesn't know what's going on. She's just a kid. Um, she, uh, Her mom makes her go see the school counselor uh, who she writes this really, really sad story about a oh. baby that everyone ignores uh, for... And she's just, she's having a tough time and she's having to deal with this all on her own. And when she almost kills Mrs. Fortune, then she kind of breaks the the mindset that she was in and she goes. she gets her Salem book back and she finishes yes. reading it. And then she hypothesizes that the people who accused others of being witches may have been the witches themselves. Like they were experiencing these um, witch type, Things. They had their own inner demons and oh, they yeah. were using mm-hmm. those to hurt other people. Yeah, yeah. And so it, she realizes that Worm is some kind of inner demon that she has to exercise. Um, and uh, she has to use fire and water in order to exercise him. And that's where we get the cover scene because she's trying to do the spell with worm and then her mom comes home her dumb mom and opens the door and worm runs out into the night she runs after him and then suddenly brandon it's a horrible storm yeah mm-hmm. suddenly brandon is there and they're chasing worm together uh mm. and worm falls in a construction site and he almost dies but he lands in water because of the flooding from the storm and he's okay And Jessica tells everything to Brandon. We find out that the reason that they have been fighting is Brandon told her to go away once when he brought his new um, male friends home. And was like music nerd friends because he loves playing the trumpet. Yeah, yeah. And Jessica took that as him rejecting her in favor of other people and didn't ever want to talk to him again. Um, So they, they reconcile in that moment and she takes yeah. worm home. Brandon tells her like, you can't be a witch because you cried. And Jessica's like, eh, maybe that might, might not be true. Um, I do think she does still have like magical powers and maybe she and worm can form a good relationship. Um, because and- that's where the book ends. Like just her saying like, 
worm. I was sorry that you were dead. Yeah. Uh, great last line. Yeah. And he's okay. And like the demon has been exercised from him. And Brandon and Jessica decide that they're going to have a sort of animal therapy clinic. So I feel like that's an opportunity for Jessica to use her animal mind speak powers going forward in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Like she's been basically practicing black magic throughout the book. And now she's moving on to more positive magics going forward. Which is great. That's what we should all be doing. Agree, especially right now. If anybody has some magic, cultivate it. Yeah, in a positive way. Old and new impressions. Did you read this book when you were young? No, I did not read this book. (laughs) And actually, I'm glad I didn't because I think that this book would have distressed and frightened me. Could have been a little much. I don't think I would have gotten anything. Um, I think I would have... Usually when I read books when I was little, I always really, really wanted the, I I really, really wanted the main child character to be friends with their parents. Um, and I didn't like it when they were fighting. Yeah. So in this book, I probably would have missed all of the terribleness of joy. And I would have been like, why is Jessica being so mean to her? Mm. Um, you know, instead of like reading it now as an adult, I can be like, oh, she's a bad parent. Yeah, she's not she doing what she needs to do for Jessica. And that's why Jessica is rejecting her. Um, she also gaslights Jessica and tries to make yeah. her excited about the fact that she's leaving her alone for days at a time. Um, I says like, yeah. well, it's your favorite TV night. So I know you'll be fine. Or yeah. yeah, you'll have more fun without me. It's just so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a very, very sad situation. So anything that Jessica gets up to, like, it makes sense. She's just, she's trying to live her life and it's, it's hard. She's got nobody. Um, so of course she thinks she's like going crazy or possessed or like someone cast an evil spell on her or something, um, because she, (laughs) um, I need to mention to our listeners that Madeline is drawing something extremely disturbing right now. (laughs) And I just noticed it and I don't feel good about it. We can post it on the website. I don't know if I want to. I mean, this is a bit of a cursed book, so maybe it's appropriate that this is what's channeling through you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Please continue. Um, So it just, it makes sense that she's trying to get through this in whatever way she can. And I really, really enjoyed, like, this is so well written. It's so well written and it's so in touch with how a child. Yeah or young teen would try to deal with the things that are happening to her. Like nothing is like eye rolling, like, okay, like that's unrealistic. Everything is realistic. Everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you can see Jessica doing things that she thinks are communicating one thing. And then you are like, Oh, well it's actually communicating this. Like the story that she writes. The story she writes to a psychologist is so dark. And Jessica comes away from it saying, I did a great job. Right. They won't suspect anything about what's really going on mm-hmm. within me right now. When in the story, she's actually written about the deeper seated anxieties and that are neglect. causing everything else to yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and her recurring nightmare about being alone in an ever expanding room with nothing else in it yeah. is also being clearly portrayed in the story. And that's like her deepest secret because she doesn't want anyone to know that she feels so alone. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Jessica. Yeah, I love getting a truly angry female protagonist, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not having that anger be the one-note character right. that encompasses all that she is. Um, she is very well-rounded. She's a wonderful person yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, so I loved Zilpha Keatley Snyder's books when I was young, and I read a lot of them, and she was prolific. Um, my favorites were The Witches of Worm, The Egypt Game, yeah. um, and then the sequel to The Egypt Game, The Gypsy Game, mm. and then The Headless Cupid. Um, we would have covered The Egypt Game, but it's not its not fantasy. I mean, all of Zilpha Keatley Snyder's books really walk a line between reality and fantasy, which is Mm -hmm. what I love so much about them. This one, I think veers further into fantasy territory. Mm -hmm. Um, I really adored that mix when I was young um, because it makes you feel, especially as a young reader, like there is potential for magic to exist within your own reality and day-to-day experience. And as Mrs. Fortune says in the book, belief in mysteries all manner of mysteries is the only lasting luxury in life which is so well put yeah (laughs) which i still believe to this day yeah i liked that a lot um and very good you know i think it i'm compelled now to reread Zilpha keatley snyder's other books that were my favorites when i was young um because i think they're is a whole different read that you can do probably on all of them as an adult reader yeah um The Egypt game, I found to be like super fun and fast paced and thrilling. It's about a serial killer who is murdering children in these kids' neighborhood. And the protagonist is almost killed by him at the end of the book. And yet I was like, oh, it's, you know, make believe. Right. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah. in Witches of Worm, I think I had a similar experience rereading it older because when I was young, this book didn't bother me. So it thrilled me. Mm-hmm. I was definitely scared by it, yeah. but it didn't disturb me. And I feel disturbed by it. Yeah, as an adult. it is disturbing. I read a when I was doing research, one review that someone had written saying that he had to, after rereading it as an adult, actually like take the book out of his house because every time he looked at it, he felt like it was a cursed house. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, every time I saw it, I would feel like I had to pick it up and flip through it. And then every time I flipped through it, I would feel so unsettled. So I just had to take it away. Wow. Um, and it does have that power. I think it's really fascinating because I feel like Zilpha Keatley Snyder is both joking about the supernatural while also encouraging an interest in the supernatural. Yeah. And there's a really fascinating introduction at the beginning of the uh, ebook that I read. Madeline and I had a debate about introductions in our last episode. My opinion is no. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to that if you want. Um, In which Zilpha Keatley Snyder says, "In at the beginning of the seventies, I was noticing that a lot of young people were using the supernatural and similar forces as an excuse for bad behavior and saying like." This isn't my fault. This thing made me do this. Um, And she said, but what we all need to realize is like these demons are our own of our own making. And it has to be us who 
exercises them. Yeah. Um, and when I first started rereading the book, I found that introduction to be a little preachy and I was kind of irritated by it. <laughs> but as I went through the book, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> she's not by any means saying like, don't believe in the supernatural. Mm. It will sway your head. I think it's a larger commentary on not just the supernatural, but religion too mm. as a whole. I think that there's this really, like I mentioned, the fine line between reality and fantasy in the book. It appears in these surprising and subtle ways and they're interwoven in this eerie way so that as the reader, you actually become complicit and kind of encouraging the same unclear line because mm. you yourself are wondering is this magic is this real yeah like is this fantasy is this actually happening to jessica is this just psychological like is this something that's happening in an abused child's right. brain yeah um no it really does but at the same time guessing. there is real danger in the book yeah including a child who is thoughtfully planning a murder yeah um so I understand why I'm disturbed by it as an adult. Yeah. I think I can yeah, just process these things in a more concrete way mm -hmm. as opposed to being a kid who like with this and like with the Egypt game, it feels like the danger is always just in the imagination um, and like there's no chance that it could actually be realized. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I understand why this was one of the most frequently banned books <laughs> in the 90s from oh. schools and libraries. Interesting. Um, okay. Because of the focus on witchcraft, we get, oh. a, we get explicit instructions for how to do an exorcism. Um, there's also, you know, on the one hand... I, so I enjoyed the discussion about the Salem witch trials. Um, Madeline and I are attempting to play the most recent Nancy Drew game right now, uh, Midnight in Salem. And Patrick. Patrick is um, playing and too. And with our brother, Patrick. Um, I won't talk too long about this, but it's been interesting to see the total mishandling of the Salem witch trials and their ramifications on American society. Yeah. Um, the game has really handled it in an abhorrent way. Also like comparing being a descendant of an accused witch to being the descendant of a slave. Yeah. Um, some really repulsive stuff. It's, it's some pretty, it's some very like white people nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, reading this book, I was like, Hey, here is a discussion of the Salem witch trials that actually makes sense and is appropriate and explores some of the rich ways in which that has affected the way we think about one another within mm -hmm. our society. Um, and I really enjoyed Jessica getting trapped after. So she loses the book at the beginning of the story, the book about the accuser's of the witches. So she only gets to see, gets through the part of them actually discussing the accusations mm -hmm. and then all the attention that the accusers get as children. Yeah. Um, and then she, when she finally gets the book back because Mrs. Fortune finds it buried in her apartment after Jessica already had to pay the library to get a new copy, <laughs> um, which also mysteriously doesn't arrive. So these are some of the pieces of the supernatural that feel yeah. very real to me in yeah. the book. Um, Jessica manages to finish the book and sees that the main accuser, Anne, came out at the end of her life and said, those witches never did anything to me. They weren't witches. Yeah. I was abused as a child and I wanted some attention and some safety in that attention. So 
I made it all up. Um, yeah. And I feel like there isn't quite enough focus on that in the way we talk about the witch trials because people are more interested in the possible supernatural right, than like in the, the reality. Sexy stuff. Yeah, than in the reality of the situation. Yeah. Um, and I was also really impressed that Sylvia Keatley Snyder managed to get all this across without ever feeling like preachy or moralistic yeah. in any way. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that's where it goes back to her actually encouraging an interest in these unknown forces mm-hmm. while also kind of breaking them down. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. No, I've <laughs> Amazing. Just, I've, I thought this book was kind of a masterpiece. Like I've really, really like I, I listened to it all yesterday. The audiobooks like under five hours long. Um, and since we are home together all day, every day, um, my uh, partner, Nick, was uh, trying to get my attention periodically during my listen, um, either by proffering our cute dog or like singing little songs like he likes to do. And I kept just being like, stop it, stop it. I'm listening to my book because I was so, so pulled into it. I really didn't want um, any distractions from it. So sorry, Nick, I was a little grumpy yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, it was really gripping and I was caught up in it after I finished it. Um, I do understand why people say that it (laughs) maybe feels a little cursed to them. Yeah. Um, because you are very much in that world. I mm-hmm. said to Madeline yesterday, I don't know how many horror children's books I've read yeah. before, um, but this falls firmly in that camp. I mean, it's definitely a horror book for adults as well because it bothered me. Yeah, <laughs> no, it definitely me. got under my skin. Um, and like I mentioned, it reminded me quite a bit of Coraline, which we have an episode on. Um, which is also like very dark. Of a neglected child attempting to create her own world while also getting swept up in something that is beyond what she hoped for. Yeah. Um, Though Coraline in the end has, I mean, she does regain a sense of love and closeness with her family. Um, Jessica doesn't get that, but she does have her best friend back. Although I still worry about that friendship because it was often violent and um, filled with fighting. I mean, for little kids, like it depends on like how old they were exactly. And they started playing together when they were four. Right. So So little kid, like me and my brother used to get into physical fights all the time. And even, even with my other friends, like especially male friends, um, we would get into physical altercations and, you know, we were okay. We weren't like badly injuring each other, but we'd have like scrapes and bruises and stuff. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I but you're right. It was a them. little, I, sometimes I was like, Hmm, is that okay? <laughs> I think that the reality of a childhood friendship, like you mentioned, how Zelda Keatley Snyder is so good at writing, um, something that feels genuine and not like an adult trying to mm. imagine how children play. Right. Um, yeah, it was just really spot on. So that's, yeah, the violence, the casual violence is a part of that. Yeah, for sure. definitely. Um, well, kids are, kids are violent. Especially <laughs> for two kids who are so imaginative and switch so easily from real life to fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like the scene, I thought this set the tone for the whole book so well when... I think it's just in the first chapter that Jessica is just climbing the hill behind her apartment building Mm. and she gets to the top where their cave is, their secret cave, uh, her and Brandon's. And 
looks with fear to the bottom of the hill and says out loud, they're still following us. Um, And for a moment you feel like, oh my God, what's happening? Like, is there something going on that I missed? Mm -hmm. Um, But it just then segues into her carrying out this rich fantasy story um, that she's living out uh, and talking about the way that they would run through parks and the other like park goers, the policemen and stuff unbeknownst to them were the monsters and they had to get through without being noticed by any of them. That's really similar to games that we would play when we were young. Like pulling other real world stuff in, Mm -hmm. in a very like, a way that's very helpful for the story and like they don't even know. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You're making it all a part of the game, even if they're unwitting uh, uh, participants. Yeah. Or we, we grew up in, in a, we had a giant yard, um, which was like rare for the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and uh, we would, we always found the most interesting stuff back there. Like it was probably from the kids that lived there before our family, but just really cool stuff that really lent itself to our play. Yeah. Mysterious objects abound. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jessica is so primed to have those experiences, but she doesn't have anyone to share them with. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is clearly very social. Yeah. Um, She does love reading and, you know, being in her own mind, but she's so deeply craving some kind of attention. And then when she does get it from her mom, because her mom is just like making sure that she's not... um, struggling Mm. this is after she meets with the counselor and after she said a few of her what happened I don't know what I did where am I moments Mm -hmm. um it just feels completely forced to her yeah um her mom says to her that she doesn't want to take her to like be around Alan and his family because she doesn't want them to know that she was married before. Right. And she's like, I don't want them to know that I have like a grown up daughter. And it's just like, woman, you are telling your daughter that she's not wanted. (laughs) What are you doing? It's also clear that her mom instills a very superficial view of other people in the world in her um, because Jessica is really cutting about people's appearances. Um, She is very like she fat shames a bunch of other kids. Um, And she like often when she's describing her friends, it's in or her ex friends, their new friends, whatever it's in a very, very superficial way. And you can tell from her interactions with joy that joy is obviously the cause of this. Yeah. Um, which is hard. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's, it's hard to feel like, I mean, the book has a happy ending for sure. Yeah. But it's hard to feel like we can find peace at the end of it. Um, no, I think she will find peace when she can move away from home and not, and like be autonomous right. because that's what she needs because well, and I appreciate that message too. Like all parents aren't good. Right. And yeah. in, a, in many cases, it is best for the child to move on and not have a relationship with that parent or have yeah. a very diminished relationship with them. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciated that being a part of the story too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I do hope that Jessica gets to use some of her animal, <laughs> animal speaking powers yeah. going forward. Yeah. Um, So it was interesting to me that this was a Newbery Honor book, too. Um, 
I, I have a bit of a fascination with the newberries. Or a bit. The, the, new, <laughs> the noobs, as I call them. Um, yeah. We've discussed this in other episodes that have been nominated. I'm just impressed that this book got a newberry honor. Yeah, because um, it's a weird it's book. It's a really strange book. Yeah, and I also love, like, that's what I keep thinking about. And the- Zilpha Keatley Snyder had a newberry honor the previous year for The Headless Cupid, which is also a great, ah, strange book. It's a weird book, too. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. Funny. Yeah. And I just, I love the cover. It looks like a boxcar kid book and it's so weird and creepy and macabre. Yeah, it is. I, so Zilpha Keatley Snyder said in, um, a little autobiography that I found that she was so wildly imaginative at a child that she believed that she could talk to animals. Um, she started reading when she was four, just from like, eavesdropping on her sister's reading lessons Mm. um and she when she was young didn't have a good time socially at school um high five zilfa keely snyder (laughs) (laughs) and i see echoes of all of those pieces here um i think it's also interesting because with jessica we get an exploration of a little bit of what might make a bully become a bully. Um, Like Mm. there are some moments of seeing like kind of a bully protagonist with her. Yeah. Um, She is kind of a bully. Yeah, she is. Uh, Especially with Worm. She treats him terribly. Um, Actually like physically abuses him lightly, light physical cat abuse. I don't know. It's, it's uncomfortable to read. Um, and did like bother me a bit with how rough she is with a young cat. And it's very obvious that she like created the demon that inhabits him. Exactly. And she's taking all the feelings that she is having, like what she basically feels like her mom is saying to her and then expelling all that onto worm and saying, I don't want you you're ugly. Yeah. Why do I have to take care of you? Like it's pretty much an immediate realization mm. of what she feels like an unwanted child. Mm. Um, and that is, those are like the words that worm grows up on and absorbs. Mm. Uh, it's so sad. Yeah. It's um, very like cycle of abuse. It is. Yeah, it is. And, but, but the reason the ending is so happy is because at the end she we see that Jessica wants to turn that around and become a good parent to yeah. Worm mm-hmm. um, and realizes that, I mean, cause I was kind of shocked when she, when Jessica runs out the door after Worm and is yeah. upset that Worm runs away yeah. um, during the exorcism because I was like, well, isn't that, isn't it done? Right. <laughs> like he's gone. Yeah. Um, but in that moment she does see that she has this deeper connection to him and mm-hmm. like, for better or for worse, for how frightening it is that she is like spending all her time alone with him, hiding in her room, <laughs> like avoiding him and trying not to hear his voice in her head, which happens when she puts her face close to his. Yeah. Um, he's her companion. He's her best he's friend. He's who she has. Yeah. And if she didn't have Worm during that period of like total parental neglect, no other friends. She'd be completely alone. I don't know. Yeah. What, what might have happened to her? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's complex. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. This book is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, I do think it it. it is good for many children to read, maybe not for all. I think 
a sensitive child would be a little too upset by it. And I do would, see how like a young Madeline would not have enjoyed it. Right. Yeah. Um, but it probably would be good for like a child who's in a similar situation yeah. when they're younger, like it's ne- giving them some power, unwanted, you know, like, yeah. 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 And saying like, I mean, not encouraging them to like start, Enacting sometimes dangerous no, yeah, pranks that's, that's on the, the people around them. So maybe it's better as a balm for adults who went through that as a kid yeah. than it would be for kids who are in it now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do. Th- I think it is for everyone, but I think it's important to yeah be thoughtful about reading it. And like, if you start it and it's feeling bad, stop. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether you be an adult or a child or anywhere in between. Indeed. <laughs> I also wanted to mention that I really loved when Mrs. Fortune says fault is a one-sided coin to Jessica. Yes. Um, And then she says it's not a reason or an excuse. Because we get so caught up in fault and Mm -hmm. it is usually a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as an attorney, I'm sure you can speak to this. So like, uh, I won't. (laughs) Madeline's law corner. I will. <laughs> Social Security thinks that if you ever, ever make a mistake, and a mistake means an omission, right? You fail to understand the incredibly complex rules for continuing to receive the benefit that you're on. Social Security audits you one time, five years down the line, after they've been paying you on a monthly basis. So mm. you're like, great, everything must be fine, or they'd stop the checks. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, actually... You should have had the understanding of an attorney when you were receiving these benefits, and therefore it is your fault that you were overpaid these benefits, and in conclusion, we'd like $50,000 from you because we imagine that you don't have things like rent or grocery bills or medical bills, so clearly you've just been hoarding the money that we've been giving you in a safe like a dragon, even though you're incredibly low income, and you don't have a dime of it. Yeah. So anyways... Fault is bull honky. <laughs> Whoa, breaking out the bull honky. <laughs> Madeline's log corner is done now. Yeah, that was really valuable. And I think that's where there is like a bit of a lesson for younger readers in there, but it doesn't feel like syrupy and patronizing. Right. Um, fault isn't something that is ever valuable to focus on. And like Madeline just so eloquently and furiously <laughs> stated, it usually doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And Jessica again and again, I just searched the word fault to find that quote and it came up so many times in the book because she's saying again and again, this isn't my fault. Worm is making me do this. Like she's soothing herself because she's upset about the things she's doing. She has remorse and she doesn't feel good. Um, Even after the first smallest misdeed, which is calling her friend's mom and telling her she was loitering outside of the arcade or whatever, Um, and then telling her landlord that she saw a man come in through the back of the apartment because her landlord thinks someone's going to get murdered. Um, yeah, she feels upset about all of that. I felt bad for the little girl. I felt less bad for Mrs. Post because she's an obnoxious busybody (laughs) who even Joy doesn't like. (laughs) Yeah, Mrs. Post is not 
good. Yeah. She's so clearly putting that um, fake face on of like, I'm worried about you. I want to take care of but you when she nosy. actually wants to learn information that she can just like lord over them and repeat yeah. to other people yeah. for gossip. Um, yeah. And so Jessica is soothing herself by saying it's not my fault. And if she weren't caught up in trying to do that, she would have been able to come around more quickly to the realization that like, it's coming from within. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I also, I think one thing that this book captured so well and is something that I was more, this, this is, this scared me more as a kid than it does now, but the feeling of like being alone in a dark place and just like being home by yourself. I had a and serious problem with that. Matt, I know, I know that you, yeah, I know that. you felt this more strongly than me. Yeah. For me, it was when I was much younger. So like when you were still really little and mm. weren't, you know, like much of a companion. Right. Yet. Yeah. Baby is just a little grub. Just like the feeling of dark shadows falling sharply in through a room at night and mm-hmm. like people aren't around and you're kind of losing your grip on reality a little bit. Yeah. Um, and when you're an imaginative kid, it's really easy for that to happen. Here's the thing. When you're an imaginative kid or an imaginative adult, all you have to do is stare at an ordinary object <laughs> in half shadow and within oh yeah a very short amount of time it will become monstrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um and uh that this this book just had a lot of moments that reminded me of those feelings very strongly and I thought it subtly articulated them in mm. these really great ways. Um, it took me back, you know, yeah. really took me back. And when reality felt frightening, not because of real world dangers, but because of all these little magic bits around the edges that you yeah. think might be corner of your in. eye, corner of your yeah. eye and they're coming and they're coming. Yeah. Uh, don't take hallucinogens if you have this kinds of problems. <laughs> This is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, exactly, family-friendly, just putting a PSA out there. Yeah, all we're saying is don't do drugs. Maybe so don't. Very family-friendly. Maybe don't. <laughs> Unless they're the right kind of hallucinogens. Mixed messages. We're getting mixed messages up in this family-friendly okay, podcast. Moving on, moving on past that. <laughs> Let's do pretend food. Yay! Pretend food. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad, disgusting, tasteless TV <laughs> dinners. <laughs> Nothing good. And like, let me. But I want to put out there though okay, for for devotees of the TV dinner. <laughs> every once in a while, not not often, because our parents did not go out that often. We were and, yeah, and we were barely allowed to have anything other than. Pretty healthy food. Right. Usually we were eating really healthy food. So like I used to get made fun of at school for my lunches. For how healthy we were <laughs> eating. No, exactly. Yeah. But for me, like sometimes dad would just be like, oh, okay, fine. Like, yeah, you here, have this this TV dinner. And I yeah, it was always when had, TV it was when mom and dad were going to something at night on the weekend right. and we had a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, okay, fine. This one time was, we're not going to give you like this perfect, healthy, organic thing. Like, fine, you could just have a TV dinner. And I loved them. They were an incredibly special treat for me. I don't know what brand it was, but the way it had, they like, packaged a them were amazing. It? They had like little 
creatures, like a penguin and a polar bear. I think they were like the TV dinner brand. Mm, I don't know. I don't really know anything about TV dinners. Uh, but yeah, they were for kids. Um, they had colorful characters on them. It was it was like a little cup of macaroni, some corn, and pudding. It was a pudding slash brownie. Uh, perhaps... Dad was cooking them too long because he was like, this is probably riddled with salmonella. I'm just going to burn all that out. <laughs> I, For me, it was a child version of a molten lava cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Where Madeline got her taste for the finer things. Ugh, I loved TV dinners. I loved them. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to say that. No, I was glad that you mentioned that because I, I also have positive memories of the very few TV dinners that we were able to have. But I also like, again, and we also, we never ate them in front of the TV. It was like no. sitting at our counter. Yeah, we would eat them. We're at the same place. Where very excitedly. Some, some of them had chicken nuggets instead yeah, of uh, yeah, macaroni. Chicken nuggets. Yeah. Just drown them in ketchup. Mm. Um, and again, Potentially as a result of the fact that we were raised on like really good, healthy, organic food. For me, I still... I think it was organic. Organic wasn't really a thing yet. Well, dad would always try to get the like non-antibiotic meat and like stuff like that. That's what I mean by like quote unquote mm -hmm. organic. Um, I loved processed foods. I would eat like a whole pack of hot dogs just if if we had hot dogs just sitting by the fridge, just sucking them down. <laughs> I literally said the phrase sucking down hot dogs last night because <laughs> we had hot dogs because we, you know, right now, pretend food is a good time to talk about this. Comfort food can be very helpful, very important. I've been cooking and baking a lot, but yeah. last night we were tired. We had been doing things all day and we had spinach and hot dogs like babies and we were so happy and watched yeah. RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. <laughs> Nothing yes. Um, Madeline's favorite snack, the coveted special hot dog snack as a child, were baby hot dogs um, that came in the baby food Gerber, section. Gerber, like little, like, meat yeah, they were called tubes. like Gerber meat sticks or something. <laughs> um, the last time so I ate strange. some of those was literally a month ago. <laughs> Sometimes I just buy them and I eat them. <laughs> Nick worries so much about me. Oh it's like, okay, I see that you are eating three jars of um, baby meat sticks for lunch. <laughs> Here's what I'm getting from this. You are a little anxious. <laughs> Maybe you would like some time alone. Yeah. Wow. What a realization. I did not know that. And you, you can buy baby food as an adult. No one will stop you. <laughs> well, yeah, because they think you have a baby. <laughs> of course you can buy baby food as an adult. The babies aren't buying it. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. So anyway, other than Jessica's sad home TV dinners all alone. Is there other food? There's uh, a mention of worm eating some liver. Um, okay. I and, like liver. Yeah. I don't know what cat food was like in the 70s, in the early 70s. It was probably just like <laughs> mushed up, you know. Gross meat bits. The same it's kind probably of not as, it, I'm sure it wasn't as like 
processed and specific as cat food is today. Right. It's um, it's probably like the low grade stuff you can get mm-hmm. today, like the strips, the meow mm-hmm. lickens or whatever. Yeah. I saw the other day that a lot of small like dairy cheese producers farms, they label some of their products not intended for human consumption and say for dogs and cats only because that allows them to not have to get like the specific FDA clearance oh. um, that makes the cheese having been processed appropriately for human consumption. But people can eat it, but it says not for human consumption on it. It's like a block of Gouda that said Gouda and it looked totally, totally normal. And then in small print, it was like for cats and dogs only, not for human consumption, but it looked like what you would buy at a grocery store. I don't think giving cheese to cats and dogs is a super good idea. That's also a good question. Yeah. I I wouldn't that'll upset their tongue. I wouldn't think so either. So there's like also an inherent like branding of, yeah, this is good for animals, but it shouldn't be there. I'd get some gnarly dog farts out of that. (laughs) (laughs) And your dog loves raw potatoes. So she loves raw vegetables of any kind. She will steal them off the counter. Um, so anyway, (laughs) liver for a cat, a TV dinner for a little girl. Um, Mrs. Fortune makes hot cocoa and she makes molasses cookies every Tuesday. And I felt very sad when she said to Jessica, I still bake molasses cookies every Tuesday. That's when Brandon used to come over, but he's not coming, but I'm still making the cookies. That bummed me out. Yeah. And truly, when Jessica went and Mrs. Fortune was making her multiple cups of hot cocoa, I was like, just get as much cocoa as you can. It's not going to be much more of this. Yeah, yeah, so a bummer of a pretend food. Yeah, not the the greatest pretend food this time around. Featuring a reverie about TV dinners, though, so (laughs) at least it inspired that. Let's move on to Badass Lady Meter. Um, We haven't said it in a while, so I'll reiterate it. We are reclaiming the word badass. When we say a badass lady, we're not saying a cold, hard, you know, stereotypically masculine woman. She does things that men do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We are talking about nuanced, complex, angry like Jessica, and bizarre like Mrs. Fortune ladies. Would you like to go first? My uh, badass lady... Is I'll say Mrs. Fortune. Um, and uh, my rating for her is hot cocoa with molasses cookies. Ooh, a, a little dunk. Yeah, that sounds good. Get some molasses cinnamony flavor in there. That Lots of chocolate. Really <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Fortune is um, the voice of reason throughout the book. Yeah. Um, no one else really knows anything about anything that's going on. Yeah, everyone else is really struggling. And I think it's very telling that Jessica plans to kill her because she is the only one who actually sees Jessica yeah. and sees what's going on with her. And Jessica mm-hmm. is so terrified of dealing with it and feeling like that's impossible that she feels like she has to get out of it. Yeah, And like, I understand when I've been really depressed before I too am doing everything possible to hide what's going on from people in my life. Um, I've never plotted to kill anyone. Uh, I can honestly say that right now (laughs) or just like, you know, running away. (laughs) But um, I identify with that. Yeah, I understand that. 
Um, and I appreciate that she keeps trying with Jessica. Yeah. Um, even when Jessica's like being pretty rude and mean to her yeah. <laughs> at all turns. Yeah. And she tries to teach her about the world because she sees that she doesn't have parents. What's your rating for her? Um, she's not my baddest lady. You just didn't say anything about her, so I wanted to say something. Huh. My baddest lady is Jessica. Jessica. Like I mentioned early on, I really loved how angry she was because mm. it's rare to have an angry female character. Um, she also can like be classified as an unlikable protagonist yeah. at times. Yeah, and absolutely. I like that too. Um, she is difficult because she has had an incredibly neglected life mm-hmm. and has also recently lost the only person who was giving her any kind of real mental stimulation um, when she is craving human contact. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, Jessica manages to go on a really impressive journey. I think something that a lot of adults would be hard pressed to do yeah. um, because she comes around in the end. She learns to love worm or at least get on the track to love. Um, she reunites with her best friend who she had, um, you know, acrimonious words with. It's hard acrimonious to, words. Well, it's with. hard to do that when you're an adult, especially when you feel like someone has said to you, I don't, you know, I'm choosing these other people yeah, over you or something I don't like want that. you around. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, we, we feel, even though, like we mentioned, we know that Joy isn't going to be a good mom anytime soon, that Jessica is developing the tools she needs to move on without that love and affection from her mm-hmm. that she's hoped for, but is never going to get. Yeah. Hopefully Joy isn't Mary Allen. I don't really know what that could mean. Hopefully Jessica can emancipate herself. Yeah, maybe. And then she can go live in a house on the hill. Yeah. My rating for Jessica is that vague but imagined big TV job that she's going to get in Hollywood. So that she can come back and say, oh, hey, I knew you when. Yeah. I hope great success for her. Yeah. Whether it's in TV or she would make a great writer, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Much like her creators, Ilfa Keatley Snyders. So with that, we've come to the end. Clapping. <laughs> We're clapping for some reason. Okay. <laughs> Just trying to lift spirits a little bit, which I think is something everyone can yeah. use right now. Yeah. It, it, you know, I felt like maybe it was the wrong decision to cover a book that's so dark um, in a time that already feels extremely dark. But... I also felt comforted by Jessica's journey and by Worm's bizarre little gray bodies. <laughs> it was funny to be reading it and have one of my cats on yeah. my lap the whole time, just being like, love me, pet me. I'm like, oh, cats are different, I guess. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. We thank hope you. that you're all as safe and healthy as you can be right Doing now great. and getting through. We will be continuing to produce episodes. Never stopping. Um, even if we have to switch to doing it over the phone. So we'll be here. Um, we will now announce our next book for those loyal listeners who have made it through. And it will be The Borrowers by Mary Norton. Yeah. A true classic. Yeah, and there's a, stud- a Studio Ghibli movie made based on this book. Yes, but what is it called? The it's Secret Life of Arietti. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Or maybe The Secret World of Arietti? 
something like that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a title. We'll know by the time we cover the book. It is the title of an anime movie. <laughs> um, if you would like to learn more about us, you can find us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. We post pictures of books and other bookish things there. So bookish things. Yeah, check it out. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.